Brethren, this is a Christian funeral worship service of praise, thanksgiving, and hope directed to our great and gracious triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and conducted in loving memory of Stephen Neal Bell, a choice servant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Stephen was born into the church militant on July the 8th, 1949 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and passed into the church triumphant on May 2nd, 2023. Stephen was 72 years of age, and he was a member of the Independent Presbyterian Church for almost 20 years. On behalf of Stephen and his family, Terry, his wife of 19 years, his daughter, Tricia Bell of Atlanta, two stepsons, Larry Summerlin and Jeremiah Womble, his sister, Barbara Bell, his brother, Richard Bell, sister-in-law, Maria Miles, his six grandchildren, several nieces, nephews, and great nieces and nephews. Let me express gratitude to you all for honoring the life of Stephen by your presence here today, even as we seek together the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the consolation of God's holy word, and renew our hope in the certainty of the resurrection of the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us worship Almighty God by carefully attending to the aspired words of the 121st Psalm. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let's join together in singing from the hymnal number 87, which is the Hymnal's setting of the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want.
Our Father in heaven, we bow to recognize that you are the sovereign one. You are the almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who governs all things and who sustains all things, who upholds all things by his word of power. You're the God in whom we live and move and exist, who gives to us life and breath and all things. You are the God who declares the end from the beginning and who numbered our days when as yet there was not one and against whose will not even a sparrow falls from a tree. You work all things after the counsel of your own will. You ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And knowing these things, we pray, O Lord, that all who are here present would find peace in the promise of your gospel. We pray on this day that you would be for us a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We plead that you would send your Holy Spirit to comfort, and we pray that the promises of your gospel would console. And we pray that you would make this, this moment of sadness, nevertheless, a time in which your gospel shines more gloriously than at any other time in this world. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to read a number of scripture texts. We're starting with Psalm 91, a psalm that speaks of the final and ultimate and continuous safety of the people of God as they hide in the shadow of the Almighty. That is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample under fit, foot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And then Psalm 139, this profound meditation upon the omnipresence 
and omniscience of God, the God who is ever-present and knows all things. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. For night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We'll turn to the New Testament now, to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And then finally, from John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God shall stand forever. If you'll take your hymnals again, we'll turn to number 91. Number 91 in the hymnal, bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Um, this, uh, this church is a psalm singing church, and this is another psalm. This is uh, Psalm 86, 1 through 11, 11. It's a plea for God to hear us as we cry out to him. And then it's rich with praise as well as he ponders the God whose help he seeks. Number 91 will stand as we sing.
Our Father in heaven, we pray that you will open our hearts uh, to receive all the good that comes to us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles or want to turn in your Bibles to John 3 and John chapter 4, I want to speak today about two surprising conversions. Uh, the first of these is, uh, is that of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Nicodemus was a moral man and a religious man and a respected man. He was a Pharisee, which would have been the strictest sect of Judaism. Uh, we would uh, probably write, be right to associate that with Orthodox Judaism today, ultra-Orthodox. Uh, and he was a ruler of the people, so he was a man of prominence, uh, esteemed in the community, a man of accomplishment. And yet, as we see in John 3, Nicodemus failed to understand the gospel, uh, the gospel message that's preached in the Bible from Genesis right through the entire Old Testament uh, to the book of Malachi. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, do these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, of course, astonished at this because he was a moral man and a religious man and a good man, an accomplished man, said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Nicodemus is utterly uncomprehending. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus, you could say he's the prototype of the of the religious and moral convert uh, who is acquainted with the things of God. You would say that he was one that was brought up in the church and somebody, a man who lived a moral life and was religiously observant. He participated in the rituals and the ceremonies uh, of the church. He, 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 he uh, had a, a substantial knowledge of the scriptures and all that the Bible had to say. And yet, according to Jesus, he was not saved. He was not, he had not yet entered into the kingdom of God. Now, in chapter 19 of John, we find Nicodemus again, and at this, that point, he would appear to be a converted man. He, he is then ministering unto Jesus, uh, seeing to his proper, his proper burial. In John 3, he's not converted. John 19, he is converted. And so this is just a reminder to us of... The fact that just uh, being a religious and moral person 
does not mean that one has been reconciled to God and one's sins have been forgiven and one is in a right, right relationship with God. It's quite a remarkable passage, at least as the world sees things, because we would think that in terms of the favor of God, the blessing of God, being on the right side of eternity, entering into his kingdom, being admitted into his presence, that it's going to be the good man and the moral man and the religious man that's going to be a, 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 a granted access into God's presence. Steve Bell was a moral man, a man of integrity, a religious man brought up in the church. He was frugal. He was competent. He was a skilled engineer over the years uh, in charge of major projects in connecting with the military. He was a man whose word was sound, who stuck to his commitments through thick and through thin, and yet not until his 50s did he really understand the gospel in a life-changing way. Only then did he truly understand what it meant for Jesus to be Savior and for Jesus to be Lord and for one to be fully forgiven for one's sin and reconciled to one's maker. So for decades, though around the things of God and connected with the church and essentially believing these things to be true, yet not understanding them in a life-changing kind of way until 20 years ago. And then that great transformation of understanding and insight took place. He was born again. He was born of the Spirit. Now, whether how one traces the workings of God's grace is a mystery. I think that fewer of us know about when we were actually converted and saved than we realize, because God works uh, quietly and under the surface and over a period of time. And so, where exactly um, that uh, that rebirth of understanding and insight and transformation of heart took place. It's hard to pin down, hard to say exactly, but we do know this. Twenty years ago, there was a substantial change, and he was a, he was a new man. Uh, what, does, um, what, what does that mean? That means that, that there's a sense in which there were decades that were just wasted, decades that were lost, time that was lost, a time in which the peace of God was not experienced in its depth, where the joy of the Holy Spirit wasn't experienced, the guidance of God's law uh, was not uh, normative, and, uh, and therefore there being uh, times where of confusion and where one is misled. This is a surprising conversion, this conversion of, of Nicodemus. I wonder how many Nicodemuses there are out there those who are moral, those who are religious, those who are observant, those who participate in the rituals and the ceremonies of the church, those who, who try to love their neighbor and live a life that's uh, in accordance with what the Bible teaches, and yet who fundamentally have not understood the gospel in a life-transforming way, have not uh, truly, personally, individually received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's uh, one surprising conversion. Then there's a second surprising conversion. The next chapter, uh, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. We pick up the story in verse 7. 
a woman from Samaria came to draw water at uh, the well, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Then, in uh, parenthetically, the author John explains, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They were off limits. Uh, they were seen as uh, beneath the concern of observant Jews. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she sees that as a pretty good deal. After all, it's, it's uh, difficult to haul water. Anybody who's done it will tell you. Water is heavy. And so to, for every need of water, to have to haul that water from the well in the heat of the day, because she was a woman of ill repute, back to your dwelling place, that's difficult. So if you could have living water, that means you'd never be thirsty again. That sounds like uh, that would uh, you know, relieve uh, some of the burden of life. So Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she seeks to engage Jesus in a religious argument, deflecting attention away from her moral condition, her moral condition, which is one of moral failure. And that's the reason why she's at the wealth in the middle of the day, because she, she was a moral outcast even among the Samaritans, regarded with contempt by her own um, fellow citizens. But by verse 29... We find this. Samaritan woman goes into town and she says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. But uh, that's a bit of hyperbole, you would think. But she, she perceives that Jesus has seen right through her, right into the depths of her soul. He told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and we're coming to him. And then in verse 39, we read, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So this second conversion is at the opposite end of the spectrum. If you think about the spectrum of very good, very moral, very religious, but needing conversion, 
and very immoral, uh, very morally degraded, um, uh, among, among the, the worst of, of society, and, and her need of conversion, uh, th then you see from the two extremes that all are embraced in the promise of the gospel. From the most moral who needs conversion, because however moral you are, you're not moral enough. However religious you are, you're not religious enough. However good you may think you are, you're not good enough. The bar is too high. You can't leap over it. The soul that sins shall die. The wage of sin is death. And then the other end. In other words, we're all on the same playing field. From the very moral, the very religious, to the very immoral, the very irreligious. What do we all need? We all need to be reconciled to our Maker. We all need our sins to be forgiven. We all need to receive the gift of eternal life, all of which is ours in Jesus Christ. Why Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you the living water that will refresh your soul. What's the lesson of all this? That it's never too late to get right with God. So Steve was in his 50s. Wasn't too late. He had 20 good years walking with Christ. Now there's a price that you pay when you delay. There are scars that will remain. There are the wounds of the world. There are squandered years. There are, there's unnecessary heartache that was endured. But the truth of the matter is, I will never find myself I will never know the key to life. I will never know how to live. I will never know the purpose and meaning of life until I am right with my maker and I can only be right with my maker through Jesus Christ. If you're here today, then you're a friend of Steve. And what Steve would want you to know is he'd want you to know that message. He wouldn't want you to be unconverted. He wouldn't want you to lack the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't want you to go on living apart from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. He would want you to know what it means to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and to know that your sins are forgiven and that you are now in a right relationship with your maker, both for time and eternity, right now and upon death, ushered into his presence in which we find the fullness of joy. At his right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. So for believers, uh, believers who are not counting on their moral and religious life like Nicodemus was, and who are not thinking that, well, there's no hope for them because they live the way that uh, the Samaritan woman did. For believers, death is utterly transformed. As the Apostle Paul can say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. That's quite a statement. To depart and to be with him is far better. Again, remarkable statement. And that's why we say with the Apostle Paul, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. There's hopeless grief. I've seen it. The grief of those 
for whom death is just the end. It's, it's the, the finality of it is utterly devastating. It's the end. That uh, spark of life has gone out, and that, uh, that personality has disappeared into the vapors, never to be heard from again, never to be seen again. For us, we grieve, but not like those with no hope. We have hopeful grief. We have a, a mingling of joy with our sorrow because we know that our loved ones who die in the Lord are not permanently separated from us. It's a temporary separation. We will see them again. And with that, we encourage ourselves even through our tears. Yes, we, we, we grieve. It's sad. It's separation. Uh, that's sad. It's sad just to contemplate separation from your loved ones. Um, but to know that the separation is temporary, that makes all the difference in the world. And to know that the loved ones who have separated from us, who die in Christ, are in a better world, in a better place, in a better condition, that takes the edge off of the grief as well. And so we, we rejoice together in the, this what the Apostle Paul calls the glorious gospel of the blessed God. This wonderful good news. This is good news. And if we're born again, we, we'll see the kingdom of God. Uh, that if we'll come to the well, we will drink living water. That only Jesus Christ is able to give. So, Terry, go ahead and shed your tears, and the rest of you, but not hopeless tears. Tears that are full of gratitude for the years together, and uh, in a hopeful anticipation of a time still to come, as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit would comfort those who mourn. We pray these gospel promises would provide deep consolation. We're thankful to live as Christ, to die as gain, to part to be with him is far better. And that in, in your presence, there's no more suffering, no pain or tears, but fullness of joy. We pray, Father, that we would recall together the virtues of Steve and try to follow his example in all that is good and right and pleasing to you, O God. And we pray as well, our Father, that we would not squander this opportunity to ponder the brevity and uncertainty of life. And know that there would not be a single soul who would leave here today without making peace with you, O God, our Maker, through your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that in the weeks and months ahead that you would meet every need of the family, of Steve's loved ones and relatives and friends, in this time of loss. Hear us, O Lord, as we pray 
that prayer that you taught your disciples, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to close our service together singing 691, a much beloved uh, hymn in our congregation and singularly appropriate for this occasion. It is well with my soul, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul.
The graveside service will follow immediately. All are invited to come and to uh, be a part of that. Uh, receive now the benediction. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.